This is the Football Friday Tailgate Podcast, hosted by Dan Mullen. What's going on, everyone? This is Dan Mullen, and welcome to this week's edition of the Football Friday Tailgate Podcast. We are in week two of the preseason. Thank you for joining us. I know it's been a while since the last podcast, but we are back in black and ready to go for this year's season, the 2014 NFL season. We're going to be covering uh, everything here with the preseason. This edition of the podcast, we'll be talking about how the season is shaping up and some things we are coming down the pipe. I wanted to thank, start off by thanking everyone as always. It's been a while, like I said, since our last podcast, so I appreciate you guys reconnecting and listening. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the podcast. We're fully interactive here. We want to hear from you, so please reach out to us. Let us know uh, your feedback. Let us know if you agree with uh, with what we're talking about and, and any comments you have or things you want on the podcast. The uh, Twitter handle for the podcast is at FFT Podcast. My own Twitter handle is at Dan underscore Mullen, M-U-L-L-E-N. Our text voicemail line is 617-819-4FFT. Email dan at footballfridaytailgate.com. Oh yeah, and the website www.footballfridaytailgate.com. So thank you again for joining us. Definitely help spread the word. We'd love to uh, have more listeners and have you guys interact. Got some good things coming down the pipeline. Hopefully looking to integrate Google Hangouts or some video component as well as we get into the season. Maybe we'll do some pre-game coverage on Sundays. A lot of different things we're thinking about, but more to come on that. Uh, don't want to jump the gun, but stay tuned for all that. Wanted to start out by giving you just an overview of what we're going to talk about today. Patriots-Eagles recap. That was a game I watched last night and sort of why I held off on doing the podcast until here on Saturday. So wanted to give you some thoughts from that game, uh, some takeaways as well as some fantasy implications there. Talk about some other preseason storylines and some things or pet peeves about the preseason also wanted to give you kind of a power ranking of where I see the top 10 teams are in the league. So uh, without further delay, let's get started with the recap of last night's game. So if you were watching NFL Network, you probably got a chance to see the Patriots-Eagles matchup. I think it's a definitely a top-notch matchup. There were a few of them this weekend, actually. Uh, Seattle and San Diego was another one, and I think Denver is playing San Fran, I believe. So I I didn't get a chance to see any of the Denver-San Fran yet. Hopefully I get to catch that. Did see a little of Seattle-San Diego, and Seattle is already just scorching it up. They look like they're in uh, mid-season form already. Russell Wilson, wow, what can I say? I saw him run one of those read option plays from the goal line and went in untouched. Manti Teo uh, had no shot at him. Seattle already off to a good start. And the Patriots-Eagles game, both teams look like they're already, at least offensively, ready to go just marching up and down the field. Brady looked great. Nick Foles looked great. Um, If you're a fan of either the Patriots or Eagles, um, you've got to like what you saw so far from the offenses, respectively. Chip Kelly, what can I say? He looks like he's... uh already one of the top coaches in the league at least you know offensively the way that they move the ball up and down the field just really impressive even Sanchez (laughs) looked pretty good in that offense other than the pick uh, the pick that he threw in terms of other players actually all the quarterbacks really looked pretty pretty good Jimmy Garoppolo who was the second round pick of the Patriots he came out and just poised just looked like he was ready to go and I know he probably doesn't know half of the playbook at this point, and he's still learning on the go. But, man, he found uh, Tims, the new wide receiver. He found him on a play down the sideline. Hit LaFell, I think, in the end zone for a touchdown. 
just really good control. Looks like he's ready to go at quarterback. And Mallett, who has taken a beating and looked awful last week, looked okay on a, on a few different occasions. He had one nice pass down the field that got broken up, but you got a chance to really see his arm. As uh, somebody on the radio has said, he looks like a crappy version of Drew Bledsoe. I mean, the guy's all arm, but he just he just misses, he just loses out on some of those other intangibles that you want at quarterback. He had some moments that looked pretty good. Sanchez, as I said, looked really good. Um, the other guy Bar- was it Matt Barkley from USC, who's the third stringer. Saw a little bit of him at the end. Once again, he didn't look awful. He didn't look great either, but what do you expect from a third stringer? So uh, at least from the first two strings for either quarterbacks, uh, Eagles and Pats, you gotta you got to feel happy with where you're at right there. For other offensive players, Vereen and Sproles, who are kind of the change-up backs for the Patriots and Eagles respectively, looked just awesome. Vereen out of the backfield, screen passes, he got open for a few first downs. And Sproles, what can I say, he is going to be unbelievable this year. Mark my words, Darren Sproles of K-State fame is going to just rip it up. He is going to rip it up in the Eagles offense. Foles to Sproles, get used to it. You are going to see him get into open space, and that's when he's the most dangerous because he's just a small, shifty guy. Chip Kelly is going to draw up plays to just find ways to get him to slip screens out of the backfield, third down, and anytime they can find an opportunity to get Sproles in the game and get him in open space, they are going to find a way to do it, and he is going to just be really dangerous because when you have a running back coming out of the backfield, linebacker is usually the one that has to pick him up, and I don't know any linebacker in the league, including the best like Patrick Willis and Bowman and some of the other guys. I mean, I don't even think they could hang with Sproles. So Sproles gets open. He is going to be really dangerous, and he could have some really huge plays this year. So he's kind of a little bit of a sleeper there late in your draft if you're looking. Also, if you picked up McCoy, you're probably going to want Sproles as well as a handcuff. Both those guys look great. Steven Ridley, although he had a sort of a fumble. He looked pretty good when he was going. He was really going downhill. He looked a lot better than James White, who's kind of the guy that's got a lot of pub in in the preseason here. I'd still say that he's uh, in uh, no jeopardy of losing his job to White. You got to like what you saw out of Ridley. McCoy, we know what McCoy is. He's one of the top three, at least fantasy running backs. And in this offense, he's just going to get so many touches. Once again, the offense for both these teams looked great. Two other guys on the Eagles that jumped out at me, Zach Ertz, the tight end, he's going to get a ton of play. This is really his breakout year, I think. He played with Andrew Luck at Stanford, so he's he's used to playing in really good offenses and, and really being a, a force in the passing game. They've got Brent Selleck, who's pretty good, but he's you know in his eighth or ninth year, so uh, I think they're going to go more to Ertz this year. And in, in that offense, quick-hitting offense, you're going to find Ertz in a lot of mismatches. And right down the seam, he's going to have a lot of big plays. Uh, and then even, uh, I think, Jordan Matthews there, the, the young kid, I believe he's a rookie, um, he's going to have a breakout year too. He has, or at least has the potential to have a breakout year. I think in that offense, you've got Riley Cooper, you've got Macklin, although Macklin is hurt. So how does that affect everything? Especially if he's hurt, then even more so for Matthews. I like what I've seen out of Matthews. The first game, he was a little jittery, but in this game, he really had a, had a chance to make some plays, and he looked really good once he got in the open field. So uh, I would definitely look out for those guys. From a Patriots standpoint, Kembrell Tompkins had kind of a so-so rookie year, but I think he has a chance to uh, to really put together a decent season. And Brandon LaFell, who they picked up from the Carolina Panthers, he had a nice touchdown catch as well. So um, if Dobson, 
who had the foot issue, if he's out for any any length of time or or he has some trouble getting back on the field, Tompkins and LaFell really have a chance to step up and, and take some playing time and maybe make some plays in the offense. So I'd, I'd look out for them as well. So once again, overall, both these teams looked great offensively. They both have kind of a hurry-up, quick-hitting offense. Um, they do it differently. It's not the same thing, but... Some of the ideas are the same, and it's really about moving the chains, quick hits, some, sometimes setting up big plays, but for the most part, it's moving the ball, moving the chains, and just getting guys into space and getting first downs. And I think they're both going to run a lot of plays, a lot of hurry up, and they're both going to have great offenses. The Patriots, as opposed to the Eagles, I think have a really good defense to go along with it. The, the Eagles' defense maybe a year or two away from really being a force, but um, I really like the Patriots defense with the pickup of Revis and Browner to a lesser extent. Browner, jury's still out on him. Is he athletic enough with these new rules to be able to take advantage of that? I mean, he can mug guys, but if you can't hit him downfield, how is that going to affect everything? In terms of the flags, there were a ton of flags thrown in this game. For an offensive team, it can be, it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess you could say, because, yeah, it's going to help keep your offense on the field, keep you moving the chains, but you can't get that synchronicity, you can't get the flow of that offense if there's flags and there's stop play or whatever. Both these offenses want to hurry up to the line, no huddle, keep going, keep pushing it. They don't want a lot of downtime, they don't want a lot of stops. And maybe that'll get better as we get into the season, but so far in the preseason, I mean, you watch these games and referees are averaging over 20 flags a game. The New Orleans game, for instance, I mean, they had 20-something penalties on their own. Not a good start for people that enjoy watching football games without a lot of stoppage in time, but I think they're gonna, they'll solve that and figure that out as we get into the season. I don't think that can continue much longer. So that's kind of an update on the Pats-Eagles. I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts on the game. I think the second game of the preseason and the third game of the preseason really are the only ones worth watching. The first game, the starters hardly play, and and everything is just really just ugly. (laughs) Both teams are just not ready to go. They're still installing things into their offense and defense. And then game four is pretty much the the game where they say, oh, these guys are all going to be bagging groceries a week from now. That's the uh, cliche they use. Those guys in fourth game, I mean, maybe there's a few people in there that are fighting for a job, but for the most part, the roster's already set, and these guys are just kind of playing maybe their last football game in the NFL before they get cut and probably never play again. So game four, not a lot to see there. A true exhibition game and, and not really much much excitement there. So this week and next week are the times if you want to watch preseason games. Frankly, I can't stand the preseason. It really annoys me, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. My earliest preseason memory, I thought I'd bring this up, is when I was, um, I don't know, say eight or nine years old, my father got me tickets to go to a Patriots game. And that was when I was really starting to get into sports, get into football. The Patriots had previously gone to the Super Bowl, or it was right around the time that they had had that Super Bowl team. But the year that I went, I think it maybe was a year or two after that, wasn't the best Patriots team, but they were playing the Giants. However, as you know, when the Patriots play the Giants, that's usually the fourth game of the preseason. And it was a preseason game he probably got cheap tickets for and took me to the game. And to this day, I can remember, as a 9, 10-year-old, whatever I was, how much 
I hated preseason. It stunk. The starters didn't stay in the game. It was at the old Foxborough Stadium, so the experience in the stadium was awful anyway. You're in that cement bowl, and you're on the uh, bleacher seats or whatever that they had. So the experience was not good, and I just felt like I wasn't at a real football game. Even at that age, I, I knew the difference. And uh, to this day, I'll not hold it against my father because he took me to a game, and that was very nice of him. But I just – the experience wasn't even great. And we were playing the Giants, who I think was even might have even been coming off a Super Bowl at this point. So it was a good Giants team, although you didn't get to see any of the good players for more than a, more than a few series. It just goes to show even young kids know these games stink. The NFL still trying to sell these games. I heard Jonathan Kraft, who's the son of Bob Kraft on the radio last night, talking about how great preseason is, and it's great to see these young kids playing. And yeah, I guess if you're really into football, you can kind of talk yourself into that. I, I certainly try myself, but these are not real games. They shouldn't be charging the same price. Season ticket holders getting screwed. Now at least they're kind of doing a flex pricing, so the preseason are a little bit lower of a price than regular season. That doesn't change the fact that these games are virtually unwatchable unless you're a real diehard football fan or just have nothing better to do. Some of the preseason storylines, as I talked about, too many flags. They're going to hopefully sort that out. Slows down the play, makes the games even harder to watch. I mean, they're already clunky as it is because they're preseason, but throwing all these flags, I mean, come on, let's let's be realistic here. Almost every play has some sort of penalty you could call on it, but they're just out of control. And, and I'm sorry, if a defensive player can't just even graze up against a guy down the field and that leads to a penalty, we're going to be in for a long season of three and a half hour games and ridiculous scores. I think they got to ease up a little bit on those penalties. One penalty that I did not have a problem with was the Jimmy Graham dunking over the upright penalty. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy guys celebrating within reason. When it gets a little excessive, I guess I kind of take the tact of the NFL of like, come on, let's let's be reasonable here. And, and for the longest time, I did like the slam dunk on the uprights. So... Jimmy Graham's thing the other the other night, you would think, okay, well, I guess I kind of support it, even though it was going to get penalties, and he's doing it as more of a, basically a thing to get on ESPN, I guess, at this point, because you're getting penalties. The thing that I don't like about that celebration, and the reason it is outlawed, is because guys like Jimmy Graham, when they dunk this on the upright, they're actually knocking into the upright and affecting the field of play. There's been a couple of games where the uprights got knocked off and were off balance, and it took... 20 minutes to get it fixed. So that kind of celebration is affecting parts of the game. They're affecting the field of play. So that's why it's banned. I mean, in and of itself, it's not that bad of a thing. It's an individual celebration, but you're knocking into an upright and you're affecting the game and, and slowing it down and, and forcing the game to be stopped to get things fixed. So Jimmy, lighten up, buddy. Come on, grow up. You know, even Sean Payton, the coach, was bullshit at him because... He did it twice, not not just once, twice. He knowingly did it. He knew he was going to get a penalty. These preseason games are about trying to practice and trying to get good reps and and set your team up to to learn and, and figure out who the guys are that are going to be at different positions and on the depth charts. Jimmy Graham, we already know you're a great player. You're going to be a pro bowler for probably most of your career. To put yourself ahead of the team like that is just not a very... It's That's not something a leader does. I don't think Drew Brees would do that and put himself ahead of the team and try and do it just to show off. It's just a, it's silly. It's a silly 
thing. We get it. You don't like that they banned a thing, but hey, maybe if you didn't keep dunking it and knocking the upright off, then maybe we'd still have that as a celebration. So look in the mirror on that one, Jimmy. Some of the other storylines, quarterback controversies, Johnny Manziel, Brian Hoyer. I say let Brian Hoyer start the season. Johnny Manziel has already proven that he's a punk and he didn't show up for, he showed up late for practice and he's doing blow in the bathroom and let Johnny sit on the sideline with a clipboard for a few games. If Hoyer can't get it done, then, then you go to Manziel. But Brian Hoyer, up until the time he got hurt last year, was ready to go. So I think you got to give him another shot. Start the season. They have an okay team, it seems like. He had some good uh, chemistry going with Jordan Cameron, the tight end. Get Hoyer in there. Let him start the season, and let's see what happens. And in case of uh, emergency, break glass and put Johnny in. But uh, he's got to learn how to be a professional before he earns that starting job, and you've got to make him work for that. Some of the other quarterbacks, Teddy Bridgewater, Minnesota, I think he's not ready to go. By the end of the season, I think he'll be quarterback because I'm not really a big Matt Castle guy. <laughs> I've seen enough of him to know that he is not really a great starting quarterback. But I think you start the season with Castle, see where that goes, and go to Bridgewater when you're ready. Jacksonville, a little closer. Blake Bortles has looked really good in the preseason. He's up against Chad Henney, uh, the veteran from Michigan. I guess in almost all of these, you're going to go with the with the veteran over the rookie. So I'd probably start with Henney, see what happens. But Bortles, I think, looks more ready than any other rookie that I've seen uh, this preseason. So I wouldn't be afraid to start with Bortles, but maybe you uh, maybe you kind of work him in after seeing what Henny gives you. And the other one that I was just thinking of, Geno Smith, Mike Vick. I think clearly Geno has to be the starter at this point. He's the future. You got to see what you have with him, Vick. We already know what he is, and he, he's inconsistent. He's not the same player he was 10 years ago. And, you know, he killed a few dogs, of course. But uh, <laughs> Geno Smith, you've got to go with him. He had a kind of a rocky year last year, but I think this could be the year that he does well. You've got him the weapons. You've got him Eric Decker. He's going to have a lot more uh, opportunity here to show himself and, uh, and to – excel as a quarterback so you gotta give him give him the rope to hang himself with this year and see what you got rex ryan i don't know how many more chances he's gonna get at this he's every year uh, claims they're gonna win the super bowl and he's kind of been sliding back a little the last few seasons so i think you gotta go all in on geno smith see what you got and uh, and then roll with that and then go to Vic if you need be denver and new england great arms race in the offseason Denver picked up Emmanuel Sanders from Pittsburgh, DeMarcus Ware, the former Cowboy, and Aqib Tlaib, who had been on the Patriots, of course. And then New England countered with Darrell Rivas. We all know Darrell Rivas. And then Brandon Browner, who used to be a cornerback for Seattle. So the two best teams in the AFC, I believe, got better. Denver did lose a few people. They lost Sean Moreno. They lost Eric Decker. They also got that safety, too, from Cleveland, uh, T.J. Ward, I believe his name is. Um, but uh, So Denver, I think, overall got better, but they did lose some some people. Welker, I don't know how much Welker has left. I mean, he's taken a lot of beating, a uh, lot of concussions. I think he could drop off significantly this year. Sanders has had an okay career. We'll see what he gets. He's always been kind of an average to above average uh, wide receiver, but... Maybe he looks better having uh, Peyton Manning throw to him. We'll see. DeMarcus Ware last year looked like he was done. It looked like he had nothing left. And then he showed up for camp this year and looked pretty good. So jury's out on him. Tlaib 
It's all about, you know, staying healthy. When he's healthy, he's great. He's a shutdown guy, but he's always got some hip issue or whatever flames up. And he's a little bit of a knucklehead as well. So will he be able to last the season? If he does, then Denver is going to be pretty tough to beat. Darrell Rivas in New England, he's uh, better than Tlaib and definitely more dependable injury-wise. Um, other than that ACL, which what are you going to do on an ACL? It is what it is. So Revis, you've got a lot better chance of him, you know, sticking it out for the year. And I think he changes the whole dynamic of the defense. Browner's out for the first four games with that suspension. As Greg Bedard said in uh, MMQB on uh, CNNSI, he doesn't really, he's not really high on Brandon Browner. And I'm kind of on the same camp as that. If he was so great, why did Seattle, why was so Seattle willing to part with him so easily? Why didn't they want to keep him? I just think he's not athletic enough to be able to deal with the, uh, the increased penalties and mugging to deal with the increased penalties of down the field uh, contact. I think that's his whole game. His whole game is built on knocking into guys and knocking them off their routes. And if he's going to get flagged every time for that, it's going to be really tough for him to match up against guys. In terms of things that have been annoying me about the preseason or always annoying me about the preseason, the product is just, it stinks, man. Watching these games, it was kind of exciting last night watching the Jets Eagles because there's a lot of scoring, but the game just kept getting slowed down by the penalties and the flags. That was just awful. You can't read too much into the preseason. Everybody's running these vanilla schemes on offense and defense. I listen to the radio all the time, and and, and I know sports radio and ESPN and all that, they've got to embrace debate and create controversy and whatnot. You can only read so much into the preseason. Half these guys aren't even going full speed, guys that already have their jobs lined up. Darrell Rivas has been taking a lot of flack because he got burned by Jeremy Macklin at practice during the joint practices this week. Rivas has nothing to prove. I don't. I wouldn't want him going 100%. That doesn't affect how I think about him, what happens in practice. These guys that watch one practice and, and comment on one play in a practice and think that that is an indictment on how a player is playing or whatever. Have you ever played a sport before? You have practices to get things out, to improve yourself, to, and you make mistakes during practice, and you try and learn through that, and, and sometimes there's miscommunication. You get those things out in practice and in the preseason. That's why you have it. So to read all tons of things into just a micro uh, event at a practice or a preseason game, I th- it's just folly to do that. It's foolish. Let these guys learn the new, t- especially guys on new teams, let them learn what they're doing. Let them get that chemistry with their new teammates. These games are, are tough to watch as well. First game of the first preseason game, the starters don't play hardly at all, if if at all. Um, the second game, they play maybe a quarter or two, maybe a half. And then the third game, that's kind of the one that they play the most. And then the fourth game, they don't play at all. So there's only two games, really, where you see any of the good players that are going to be on the team. And even then, it's minimal time. It's not a full game. So some of these games are just really difficult to watch. I went to one of the joint practices with the Eagles-Pats this week. 25,000 people showed up. It was miserable. If I got there, well, I did get there early. And then I, of course, went to go get lunch at Toby Keith's and have a beer. So I figured, oh, I got plenty of time. Then I get down there and I realize there's a line of 15,000 people waiting to get in once I was done lunch. So you can imagine uh, how that worked. I got in late in the line, got into the practice, was obstructed view, standing room only behind a tree and could barely see the practice. I left about halfway through because it was just miserable. But what I did see was two teams that look like they're uh, ready for prime time. Gronk, uh, his health is still a concern. I love... uh, this is another pet peeve of mine. 
Pro Football Talk this week came out saying, well, there's a 50-50 chance he'll be ready for game one. That's when they're aiming for game one, 50-50 shot. Okay, great. And then, of course, they quote, oh, a source close to the situation. So basically, you just made up a story out of thin air. Because either way, you're right. If he doesn't play, it was 50-50. If he plays, it was 50-50. Nobody knows if he's going to play or not. He's probably not going to play in the preseason. 50-50, congratulations. It's, once again, another speculative article that makes you feel good and you get your web hits or whatever you're looking for. Um, What a garbage site. (laughs) Unfortunately, I, I have to admit I do go there quite often, so I guess I'm part of the problem, but... I just read things like that, and I just shake my head. It's a non-story. It's something you just made up out of thin air. And that's what a lot of these preseason stories are. Nobody knows the the truth. The Revis thing about getting burned by Macklin. Yeah, and Macklin blew out his hamstring. So who's uh, who's laughing now? The guy who's going 100% trying to be Rudy at practice or the guy who went 50% and still healthy and ready for the season? I'll take the guy that's ready for the season anytime. So um, I don't need Revis trying to show off in practice and trying to win a uh, some kind of show-off award to show Jeremy Macklin how much better he is. Revis has already got the skins on the wall. He knows he's good. So a lot of uh, a lot of things that tick me off about preseason. I'm glad it's halfway done. I'm going to be winding down soon. Next week, we're going to talk about fantasy football. Hopefully, your fantasy football league is not drafted yet. If it has, you need to get out of that fantasy football league because fantasy football should never be drafted before the end of preseason. There's injuries that happen. Things change. Depth charts change. If you start a league and you draft at the beginning of preseason, it's just that's it's a bad league. You're in you're not in a good fantasy league. You're not in a league of people that are intelligent. They obviously don't know what they're doing if they're drafting this early and they're just doing it for fun. Fun is great if you want, but I recommend you play to win and play with guys that are intelligent and won't give up halfway through the season and make it fun, make it competitive. Maybe there's a little money on the line. If there is, you want to wait until the end of preseason to do your draft just my two cents more to come next week i'm going to have a lot of fantasy tips so if you're a fantasy football person definitely want to check in next week that is going to be our big fantasy football episode without further delay i want to go into my top 10 preseason power ranking i'm just basing this off of who i feel are the top 10 teams it's not scientific in any way i just went through all the different uh, went through the list of all the teams how they've done up to this point, how they kind of finish the season, and just what I feel like they're going to do this year. So once again, not totally scientific. How can you really read that much into the preseason? But these are my top 10. So number one, we're going to start with Seattle. They won the Super Bowl convincingly, killed Denver, killed Manning. Um, Even with the rule change or the rule emphasis, I still think they're a team to beat. Um, Russell Wilson looked great when I saw him play last night. So the offense is good to go. They've got some new weapons. The defense is is the same as it ever was. They're going to be tough. Um, so Seattle, number one. Denver, I have number two. I still think they're probably the best team in the AFC, although New England may have closed the gap on them. Cody Latimer, the wide receiver that they just drafted, he's a guy I would keep on your radar. I think he could come in and play a lot, especially if Welker goes down or Welker has any difficulties. I think Latimer Latimer could have a big breakout uh, rookie or second-year campaign next year. Um, he's a guy I would watch out for in the Broncos. Number three, New England Patriots. As I said, I think they may have closed the gap with the Broncos, so maybe they could even bounce up to number two here in the power rankings at some point. Injuries are not as much of a concern, at least up to this point. 
Gronkowski still kind of lingering, but I think he'll be ready to go once uh, once the bullets start flying. James White, running back, guy to watch out for. He's been this guy that they're talking about in practice, fourth-round draft pick out of Wisconsin. Hasn't looked great in the games, per se. Didn't really impress me last night, but people are raving about him at practice, and it seems like he could be a three-down back and good pass protection, good running, good good catching. Um, so he's got the whole package at running back. So he's somebody to watch out for. Number four, San Francisco 49ers. What's there to say? You know, I think Colin Kaepernick is going to play a big role in how well they do. Is he going to keep getting better? Is he going to be a better pocket passer? I mean, I think anybody would agree that he's quick and can get out of the pocket and start running and be a real dangerous weapon. But if teams shut him down in the running game or start to hit him a little bit, can he sit back there and and complete passes and still have that component of his game? I know that's something RG3 is working on in Washington. Um, A lot of these running quarterbacks, once that once that component gets taken away from you and you just become a pocket passer, are you going to be able to do that? So that's going to be a huge thing for the 49ers. Otherwise, defense, coaching, playing. New Orleans is always a top team. You've, and one of the things you're going to see, too, like with my power rankings, I'm a big quarterback guy. If you have a great quarterback, I think you're going to be one of the best teams. Really, you can almost rate the quarterbacks and, and fill in the blanks from there. If you've got a good quarterback, you've got a good chance to succeed, especially if you have a good cast around them. New Orleans, Drew Brees is still one of the top quarterbacks. At home, they're almost unstoppable offensively. Once you get them out on the road in the winter time, they can be a little tougher for them on, uh, on you know, a visiting field. But they're going to put up the points. Their defense is good enough to to keep them in games. So Saints are my number five team. Number six, Green Bay Packers. Another quarterback play here as well. Aaron Rodgers, always a guy I'll, I'll ride or die with any day. Good team around him still. Great receiving core. Oh, man. Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb. I hear people talking uh, with their fantasy drafts. Well, what if I could get both of those guys? Would that be dumb to do? Probably not. They're really good wide receivers. I would take either one of them. And if you had them both on your team, it may limit you on games when Green Bay gets shut down. But how often does that happen? So um, I like both those guys, uh, you know, in your fantasy, as well as Eddie Lacy at running back. They are a great fantasy football team. Their offense is going to put up crazy numbers even in the frozen tundra there in Green Bay. So really, in this 2014 NFL, you've got to be able to score points. And every one of those teams I've listed so far, they can put up 30 to 40 points, no problem in a game. Green Bay, right up there with all the other teams, they're at number six. Number seven, Indianapolis Colts. Andrew Luck, another quarterback. I think he's really going to ascend this year. I think this is the year. Not that it's a breakout year because I think he's been really good all along, but I think this year he's going to take another step and really elevate himself to the upper echelon of quarterbacks. Hakeem Nix got signed. He hasn't looked so great up to this point, but um, if he can get it clicking, I think he's going to be a great weapon for luck, along with Reggie Wayne and some of the other guys that they have, T.Y. Hilton as well. Love to see Nix get really part of that offense. That would really make luck be just a really tough guy to beat if he's got all those receivers going. So Colts, number seven. Number eight, Philadelphia Eagles. Love Chip Kelly. Love the offense. Love what they're doing. Foles has looked okay this preseason, um, but I think he's a pretty good quarterback as well. They're an offensive play. They are going to be tough. They're going to run so many plays so so quickly. They're going to be really tough to beat. Once that offense gets humming, 
you got to score with them. I mean, you, you can't hope to stop them. You just try and contain them a little bit. But if their offense gets going, they're going to win seven or eight games just on offense alone, just outbeating teams, wearing them down. The conditioning level, great article this week. I think it was in, uh, I think it might have been an MMQB as well, about how they run their practices and the conditioning. Just like in Oregon, he's all about, Chip Kelly's all about having the team well conditioned, being really efficient with their practices, being efficient with their plays in the game. And I think that's really going to play a big role. And as I talked about before, Sproles, man, I love him in this offense. I think he's just going to be unstoppable. I think this is like peanut butter and chocolate put together, like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Perfect, perfect match. Sproles and the Eagles, I think he's going to be a great fit there. So Eagles are my number eight team. Number nine, Cincinnati Bengals. Dalton got his big contract. We're going to see if he can live up to that. A.J. Green, arguably the best wide receiver in football right now, right up there with with Marshall in uh, Marshall in Chicago and uh, Calvin Johnson in Detroit. Definitely one of the top guys. Jeremy Hill as a rookie. I'm kind of interested to see how they work him in there. Giovanni Bernard, obviously, is going to be the guy who gets the bulk of the carries at running back. But I think Jeremy Hill could sneak in there and get some get some playing time as well. He could be a nice little weapon. Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, the law firm, he's kind of he's on the downswing here. I think he may be uh, maybe reaching the end of the road. So I'd like to see what Jeremy Hill can provide and see if uh, see if he gets some playing time there. But Bengals number nine and my number ten team, San Diego Chargers. I like what I saw last year. I was really down on Philip Rivers, as you probably know if you listen to the podcast. Not a huge fan of his, but I got to hand it to him. He had a great bounce back year last year. Uh, McCoy, the head coach, wasn't sure what we'd see from him, but he kind of ran an upbeat offense and they really got things going. Keenan Allen was unbelievable as a rookie. So many teams passed on him, including the Patriots. Ugh. Um, oh, he's too slow. Knee injuries. Yeah, didn't matter. He was awesome. And I think San Diego is going to continue this year. Interested to see if Antonio Gates has anything left. It seems like he might be uh, near the end of the road himself. But um, if he's still uh, still a weapon to, to use, he could be really tough as well. Looking forward to seeing the Chargers this year. They are my number 10 team. So that's the top 10 preseason rankings, power rankings. Let me know what you think. I know there's some Chiefs fans out there that probably think their Chiefs should be in the top 10. Maybe some, well, not Cowboy fans. I think Cowboy fans are set that their team is not top 10. But if your team wasn't in there and you think they should be, love to hear from you. Uh, Definitely reach out to us, Twitter, voicemail, text line, email, however you want. But uh, we'd love to hear from you. So that about wraps it up for this week's preseason edition of the Football Friday Tailgate Podcast. Thank you again for listening. If you want to contact us, once again, the website, www.footballfridaytailgate.com, on Twitter, at FFT Podcast, or at Dan underscore Mullen, M-U-L-L-E-N. Email dan at footballfridaytailgate.com, and then our text voicemail line, 617-819-4FFT. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, definitely reach out to us. As we said before, next week we are going to go full-on fantasy football. If you have any questions you want answered for next week, please uh, email them in or tweet them in. We'd love to answer those. And we're going to give you everything you need for your fantasy football draft and get prepared for the season and really give you some tips that are going to help you win your fantasy football league. So until next week, thank you for listening and vaya con Dios, amigos.